0: Welcome to Sulfur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at SulfurspringsBC.com. Appreciate the songs this morning. Thankful for the testimony. And uh, appreciate Pastor James and his family reading that scripture. That's that's special for us to be able to witness. I know that's special for him. And uh, I'm thankful for that this morning. It truly is a joy to get to come together with our, our church family and worship this morning. And I look forward as we continue to do that this morning by opening up the Word of the Lord and hearing what He has to say to us, worshiping Him by honoring His Word. And so if you will, I'll ask you this morning to turn with me to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. Pastor James read from Luke, which is uh, the other account where the majority of the earthly details of our Lord's birth are given, um, along with Matthew chapter number 1. Of course, Mark doesn't mention as much about The birth of Christ he picks up later on in the Savior's life and then John delivers a different perspective of the Lord's coming to earth and um, each of these aspects of the retelling of our Savior's coming and each uh, emphasis is placed within the Gospels all have a purpose and a reason and and the intent of the authors and what they were writing. Um, But I pray this morning as we open up this passage of Scripture that uh, we won't check out as far as, uh, I'm not reading you anything this morning, we're not studying anything this morning that you may have not have already read this morning, that these are not details that you've never heard, um, but I pray that the Lord will make His Word fresh to us this morning and give us a, a fresh hunger to hear from Him and to understand the details and the significance of His coming. Uh, so if you will, I'll ask you to stand with me this morning as we read the Word of the Lord. We're reading verses 18 <clears throat> through verse number 25. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name, Jesus. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word today, God. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to preach your truth today. God, I ask that you'd help me, Lord, to handle your word with integrity, God, and with accuracy. Lord, help me to say only what you have said God, rid my thoughts this morning, rid this message of anything that is my personal opinion and my uh, personal preferences, Lord, but help us to preach and proclaim the truth today. And God, I ask that you'd help our heart to receive the truth this morning. God, help in the midst of the business of this day and of this time, Lord, I pray that for this span of a few moments, God, that you'd help us just to focus on you, to hear your voice. And God, I pray that you'd allow me to speak with the power of the Holy Ghost, Father. I, I need you for that, Lord. God, I'm dependent upon you for the task at hand today, Lord. My words will not change anybody's life, and my words will not strengthen anyone's faith, but Father, I'm thankful you have all power today, and God, you can do these very things. Lord, there may be somebody in this service this morning that's unconverted, that have ne- that has never put their faith in these details of the birth of Christ that we're studying today, and his purpose, and his nature, and his mission in this earth. And God, if that's the case today, I pray that you'd use your word to bring their heart to conviction. God, bring their heart to shame and of their sin God the realization of their sin but Lord from that point I pray that you would help them to see Calvary where this savior that we're talking about that he died for them he died in their place and his perfection his righteousness can be placed to their count God and you'll have answer for theirs their sin and their rebellion to Calvary God thank you for the beauty of the gospel thank you for what we get to celebrate today in the coming of our savior Lord, thank you for the fellowship of this church thank you for the relationships we're able to share and how we God, you placed each one here, God, to serve a role, to help us, to, to help us make it home. And God, in all of our lives and all of our families, I pray that you'd be glorified and you'd be honored. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray this morning, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> the Old Testament builds the expectation for a Savior, and that's what we looked at last week, the we looked in Isaiah, for example, and Isaiah is not the only prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is not the only place that prophecy is given. That's not the only mention that God gives us of someone who is coming. That's one particular example that we looked at last week. And the message, that I, the way I titled that message was, A Savior is Coming. Well, what we're learning this morning is the Savior's here. That's what the birth of Jesus proclaims to you in the Old Testament The biggest majority of it, or a lot of it, is you will find that it's the story of God saying there's someone coming. It's the fact that the nation of Israel failed, the nation of Israel sinned and came short, and in the midst of that, God provided a hope and saying there would be a Redeemer, there would be a Messiah, that someone's coming. That's a story that you will find over and over in the Old Testament, that somebody's coming. And then we get to learn this morning, or think this morning about the fact that now that Savior's here. The one that God had promised for 4,000 years, that now He's here. The Old Testament built that expectation, and now we get to celebrate the wonderful moment when He arrived. John, as I mentioned in his gospel, is not led to share the details of Jesus' birth, at least from this earthly perspective, the way that it all took place, but I like the way that he introduces, if you will, the life of Jesus. He says this in the opening of his gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this is so powerful. If you could wrap up Christmas in a few words, it would be these, in my opinion. And the light shineth in darkness. And then the unfortunate reality of the life of Christ is what John says at the end of that verse. I believe it's verse number 5, and he says, In the darkness comprehended it not. But the beauty of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas is that the light came to darkness. That you and I in our sinful condition and in our rebellion and in our trespasses against God, that He came to you and I. He came to to the mess we were in to deliver us out of it. It's hard to understand the magnificence of this moment, but Jesus had life and He came to you and I with it. When you and I could not find the light, the light came to us When we were dead and our trespasses and sins without any hope, life came to us. It was our own sin and our own rebellion and our own decisions and our own making that had separated us from God. But Christmas is the very vivid picture that now God came to bridge that gap that you and I had caused due to our sin. God himself came to restore us back into fellowship with him. It's the literal visual that God came to us to rescue us and deliver us and we could not go to Him. It's the testimony that goodness and perfection and holiness came to our sin and our evil and our wickedness came to the midst of all that to save us and to redeem us. The question we could address this morning as we come to this passage of Scripture is how do we know that this man named Jesus is that person? How do we know that, I mean, of all the sons that have been born in this earth, that why is it, how do we know that this one This particular one is that one we've been looking for, is that one that is our Savior, is the one that would redeem us, is the one that is light that came into the darkness. If we're saying today that the Savior's here, how do we we know this is Him? How do we know that this is the one that our hope can be set in? Well, the details of all that took place in the birth of Christ as they're given in Matthew and Luke answer that question. Understanding the details of Jesus' birth are essential for correctly identifying Him as the Savior. They help us to truly recognize that He's here. This is Him. The details of His birth are crucial for seeing the significance of this birth over all the rest that's ever happened in human history and all that ever could happen. It's the key to seeing the real joy in Christmas. It's the key to seeing the real wonder of Christmas. It's the key to seeing why this birth that happened some 2,000 years ago is still so special today. For, I studied this passage of Scripture before when I was at Tabernacle Baptist as the youth pastor and I said in introducing it then that it's important and I think it's still true especially for young people just in that naturally they're often more immature in their faith because of just age and time. It's important that you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Everything you believe about Jesus is tied into understanding His birth. It should, the foundation, a lot of the foundation of your faith is in, rests in the details of how Christ came to this earth. And Studying these verses can remind us today that you and I are not ignorant for following Him. He's worth following. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of us being a disciple of because of the story of his coming to earth. Again, none of this will be new to you. None of this will be like, wow, light bulb go off. But I pray that God would use his truth this morning. To make it fresh in our heart, fresh in our life, and help us to rejoice in our Savior. So first of all, we'll mention this morning one of the specific, very critical details of Christ's birth is that he was born of a virgin. The Bible says this, introduces the story in verse number 18 very plainly. He says the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise. Here's how it happened. Here's the story of Jesus' birth. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The narrative here begins by introducing us to the mother of Jesus, and her name is Mary, and she's a spouse to this man named Joseph. The word espouse is comparable to what we know as an engagement, but it's, there's some critical differences that help us understand the. Uh, uh, what's taking place in this story, and and the significance of Joseph, and helps us understand his response to what's taking place. And a marriage was being formed in this day. A contract would be created between the fathers of the two individuals to be married. The father of the husband would typically give the father of the wife a uh, some kind of dowry, a bride price that would secure that bride for that son. And at that moment. When that contract was agreed upon, they, they were legally married. That's why Joseph was going about being divorced. They were in this, this uh, spousal period. This is what terminology we use is engagement. To, but the key difference is, is our engagements are not legally binding. For them, this spousal was they were legally married. They just have not come together yet. They spent this year apart. So, for example, my dad may have went to Gary, who's Brianna's dad, and said, I'll give you three cows for Brianna. And then her dad, of course, would have said, that's fine, I'll take one. And then they would have agreed upon that, that contract price. Clearly, y'all can tell I've been married a very short period of time, because if I hadn't, I wouldn't say stuff like that. They agreed upon that contract price, and from that point forward, me and hers as good as married. But for a year, we would not have come together physically, we would not live together, but it's legally, and it's binding. For at the end, it would take a divorce, a legal divorce. A legal separation. And that's where Mary and Joseph are. And then the, that's what makes the conclusion of verse 18 so huge and so significant. That before they came together during this espousal period, they have not known each other physically. Mary's pregnant. And of course, the Bible gives us the details here and clues us into what's happening. She's found a child of the Holy Ghost. In other words, Mary had not been unfaithful, Mary had not been untrue to her spouse, but God was doing a miraculous work, a a spectacular thing was taking place in her where the Holy Ghost uh, in His creative power placed this child in the womb of Mary. And then verse number 19 begins to tell you and I about the fallout of this. Joseph, her husband, being a just man. We get the idea Joseph is, is a good... For lack of a better term, Joseph's a good man. Joseph's a righteous man. And not being willing to make her a public example is minded to put her away probably. So you can imagine, men, you during your engagement period, you have not known your wife. You know that that has not taken place yet physically. You've not known her. And she comes to you and tells you she's pregnant. And then she tells you that it's a child conceived of the Holy Ghost. You can imagine how you're going to respond to that. And Joseph, being a just man, he does not want to stay with her in this unfaithfulness, but in his righteousness he shows mercy, and he does not, he, he's not interested as many people would be, as many people would respond and making a an spectacle out of her, embarrassing her, bringing shame and reproach to her. But he wants to put her away proudly. Because see, this is a this is a big deal. Mary is a lot of people would think, man, carrying the Christ's child would be so amazing and so wonderful, and of course, and it would be in a lot of ways. But Mary's in a tough position. You think about Mary, she's a virgin, so she is sought to live uprightly, she's sought to live righteously, she's sought to honor God with her life, and now everybody around her is going to think she's been unfaithful, she's been untrue. Because again, you can imagine, people are going to believe her story. Yeah, I, ha- I have a child, I'm pregnant, but I've not been with a man. You can imagine how that's going to be received. You can imagine how she's going to be viewed from everybody in society, even from her own husband until the angel of the Lord shows up and gives him clarity to the situation. So Mary's facing an awful social stigma. Now her husband wants to put her away and even his response is an assertion, a validation of Mary's virginity. If Joseph had thought there was any possibility she was pregnant as a result of him and their relationship, he wouldn't have responded in this way to put her away. You see, Mary's in a dangerous position, and part of where we can see Joseph's righteousness in that and seeking to show her mercy is according to the law. Mary is Mary is, could be stoned for her actions if she could, with the assumption that she had been involved in some sort of an adulterous relationship. But then if Joseph receives her, then it looks like Joseph was involved in this action. So they're in a very particular, very peculiar situation. And as you can imagine, Joseph is thinking on these things. I can only imagine how he slept that night. I don't really know. But Joseph goes to bed and No doubt these things were turned over in his mind. He's thinking, how could Mary do this? How could this happen? And probably, I mean, we can see his love for her. He didn't want to bring shame and reproach to her. He wants to put her away privately. We are told he's a just man, so he's probably conflicted with these emotions of loving Mary, caring for Mary. He's already invested in their relationship, but at the same time, as far as he knows, she's been unfaithful. So he's back and forth with 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 these aspects of his relationship. He goes to bed that night, and all this is on his mind, and then an angel of the Lord appears unto him in a dream and clarifies for Joseph and assures him, he said, the angel tells Joseph, fear not. He says, take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Very, very powerful. I will revisit that in a moment, but for now I want you to focus on the fact of the truth that Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus is not just another baby. If Jesus was born into this earth like I was or like you was by natural means, then He cannot be our Savior. He would be someone like you and someone like me. The virgin birth of Christ is a crucial aspect of the doctrine of your faith. This is not something that we can... There's a lot of... I've learned in in my growth in Christ, there's a lot of things that as Christians we can agree to disagree upon. There are a lot of those things. Contrary to a lot of people you may talk to, there are a lot of those areas. But embracing the the virgin birth of Christ is not one of those areas, because for Him to be who He says He is, He had to be born of a virgin. That's how we know that He. That's how He brings together full divinity and full humanity. Into one being. I love this quote I read, and you've probably heard it before, but it said a thousand times in history, a baby has become a king, but only once in history did a king become a baby. The life application study Bible says it poses this question: Why is the virgin birth so important to the Christian faith? Again, I said last week in talking about the prophecy of Isaiah and, and Isaiah nine. The story of Jesus' birth is not just so God would give us a memorable, memorial, memorable way to remember how Christ came to the earth. All this is, is important and it's significant. It's not just a story that makes us feel good, that we love to read through. It's, it's important. It's important to why we follow Him. It's important to identifying Him for who He is. So this question is important. Why is the virgin birth so important? It's the answer that this study Bible gave said, Jesus Christ, God's Son, had to be free from the sinful nature passed on to all other human beings by Adam, if Christ was born with a sinful nature like you and I, his death would be the same as me, dying on the cross, it would be insignificant for our salvation. Because Jesus was born of a woman, he was a human being. But as the Son of God, which is kind of the truth opposite or the other side of the truth that he's born of a virgin, that's how we know he's the Son of God. And as that, Jesus was born without any trace of human sin. Because Jesus lived as a man, we know that he fully understands our experience and our struggles. Because he's God, he has the power and authority to deliver us from sin. And if you think about Christ very long, your mind will be overwhelmed that he is fully man and fully God. It's an amazing thing. And our, our hope rests in this fact. Charles Spurgeon, I've like I said I like to read after him. The way he says stuff to me is just often so powerful. He said, he said this about the birth of Christ. He said, infinite and yet an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet nursing at a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet carried in a mother's arms, heir of all things and yet a carpenter's despised son. I mean, if you think about this moment, here's the one who created the stars and now he's laying under the stars. Here's the one that spoke all things into existence and now he's living in his creation. It's an amazing thing. It's, an, it's a powerful thing to think about the birth of Christ and His existence in this world. But it's important to understand the significance of embracing the virgin birth of Christ. But also, as I mentioned, Jesus' name explains His mission, part of the significance of the details of His birth and, and His coming into the earth is his name. Again, he wasn't just named after his great grandpa or however we might name people in our day, but his name was very significant. The Bible says when this angel showed up to Joseph, says in verse number 21, tells Joseph that your wife's going to bring forth a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. And he says, why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. That name means the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. So his name is not just random. It's not just a name that the angel thought, well, that sounds good. That sounds nice. That rolls off the tongue. Well, we'll call this child that. But his name identifies what he came to this earth to do. As we gain understanding from the New Testament, Jesus was not just here to save Israel. The Bible, this verse, says he would save his people from their sins. We understand through uh, the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, that the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, went to Jew and Gentile alike. And we understand, again, as we mentioned last week, the prophecy in Isaiah speaks significantly of a, of a literal kingdom that Christ would reign and rule over, in which He would bring peace through. But what we understand here is that Christ came to deliver His people from their sin. And this is so significant, He did not just come to... Physically save us, to physically deliver us in the eyes of these people. They wanted to be delivered from the oppression of Rome, and Christ didn't just come to do that. Christ came to save you and I from our sins. You see, the question today is not, do I need a Savior? The question is, do you know this Savior? Because we are all guilty. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need to be saved from our sins. And the only place that you can find that salvation is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And His name identifies that. For you and I, he would save his people from their sins. John G. Butler said mankind's problem is that he refers to be saved from troubles more than from transgressions. And that's true today. We must all recognize that we have trespassed, we have sinned, we have fallen short. And sin brings an awful penalty, but Christ came into this earth and his name tells us that he came to save us, to deliver us. Not just from physical oppression, not just from earthly hardship, but from our sins. So a very easy question arises, have you been saved from your transgressions and your rebellion against God? Jesus is the only way to be saved from that. Then also, as the text carries on, we see Jesus, of course, as we mentioned, even from last week into this week, that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Again, the story of Jesus is not told like it is just to make it easy to remember. The Bible says all this was done. All the different aspects of Jesus' birth was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet Say, and this prophecy speaking of is from Isaiah, it's a different one from what we looked at last week. It's from Isaiah 7 and 14, whereas he's recorded in Matthew, he says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. All this happened is fulfillment of prophecy. And this prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen, commentators would say it happened some 700 years prior to the events recorded at Jesus' birth. So 700 years, that one specific prophecy was given. And the power and the wisdom and the sovereignty of God 700 years later, exactly what he said came to pass. And you see that's significant because if The Bible, the New Testament, talks a lot about false Christ that would come, false messiahs. How do we know that Jesus is the real one? Because God had told all along, he painted this picture of someone who's coming, and he gave specific details about this one that's coming. So the true messiah had to fit that picture. And according to the angel of the Lord, Jesus fit that picture. Jesus is the one that all along God said would come. We see here his name, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, and again, how powerful that is. See the picture again, how vivid it is that he came to you and I, but we could not go to him. We were the ones that caused the mess we were living in, but he came to us. And then at all this, Joseph wakes up in verse number 24. He's raised from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And he took unto him his wife, and he knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name, Jesus. See, Joseph, we see he had his own plan. Joseph, and Joseph, I think, gives us a very powerful, powerful picture of obedience and submission. Joseph, we see, literally, he had his own plan. He was going to put her away, and he was going to put her away privately. He didn't want to make his big scene out of her. He didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to bring shame to her. He wasn't interested in bringing harm to her. But he also, in his, right, in his justness, and his being a someone seeking righteousness, could not stay with her, so he's going to put her away. That was his plan. He went to bed that night, and that was his plan. But God interjected, and God had his own plan. And I'm thankful. As I ponder that, I begin to think how thankful I am when God interjects himself upon my plans. There's been times in my life when I had plans, but thank God he interjected on my plans. When I was in high school, I had no intentions of being a pastor. I had no intentions of preaching. But thank God he interjected on my plans, and he made his plan known to me. And I'm thankful for those times in our life where we have, a, we think we've got it all together, and we've, we've figured out a plan, and we've weighed the options, and we figured out what we think is the best option, but then God steps in, and He interjects, and He reveals to us His own plan. And I'm thankful for those times. And as Joseph does, what an example he sets of obedience. Remember, I said a little bit about this would not have been an easy decision. Multitude of reasons why. Joseph battling, like probably any of us, doubt, as in, he had to think at some point in time, man, this is kind of wild. I, I'm trusting that my wife, I mean... No child had ever been born of a virgin before. I'm trusting that my wife's birth is going against everything that I, we know to be true. He's taking hold of, word of the Word of God, and he's obeying God's will and submitting to God's plan. Even by embracing Mary, it's going to look like at best that this child is, is his, but they've been unfaithful, or they've began a physical relationship before they should have. Joseph's in a tough spot, but he had the Word from God, and God said, take your wife, take Mary, She's not been unfaithful. This child is in her and been conceived of the Holy Ghost. Joseph obeyed and followed God's plan even when it was a difficult option. His earthly self probably battled with doubt, but his faith was stronger. I want you to know this morning that following God's plan is not always easy. Following God's plan is not always going to be the most burden-free option. You see here for Joseph, you can read all throughout the Word of the Lord, where, yes, in submitting ourselves to the will of God and submitting ourselves to what God wants, there is a, there's a peace and there's a joy in that, but it does not always mean your life's going to be easy, and that does not mean that every single struggle, every single adversity you ever might face is going to be cleared out of your path. A lot of times following God's will will bring its own set of adversity and its own set of problems. But it does not change the fact it's God's will and you and I are to live in submission to His will and to His plan. Following God's will will often be hard. Every single earthly tendency in Joseph would have said, this is crazy. I mean, men, you think about it. You haven't known your wife, she comes to you, she tells you she's pregnant, and then you're embracing the truth that this child is not from another man, this child has been conceived of the Holy Ghost. It's faith. But Joseph, what made him do this? He honored the Word of God above his desires, above what was easy. Do you have enough faith today to trust Him and know that His way is best? And I'm thankful that in the end, His way will always prove best. It will not always prove easy, but His way will prove best. Do you have enough faith this morning to say, God is worth honoring with my obedience, regardless if it makes sense to me or not? thought of Peter and the apostles in the New Testament who they had been told to quit preaching in Acts chapter number five, and they had been told to quit preaching in the name of Christ, and they continue to preach, they're arrested, and the, the people who arrest them, Jewish leaders, ask them, like, did we not tell you to like they're asking, you know, like did we not tell you to stop? And Peter and the apostles answered with something so profound, and they said, they respond to them and say, We ought to obey God rather than men. And that's what we have to do. There'll be times in your life where God will, following God's will will seem to be the difficult, more difficult of the two options that you have. Your flesh, you want to do something over here that seems easy, that's walking by sight rather than faith. But in that, let's take a lesson from Joseph. By faith, he clung to the Word of God and said, God said that this is to be my wife. That this child has been conceived of the Holy Ghost, and I'm to take her as my own. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have all the explanation as to why, but he did know this is what God wanted. And he said, even though my plan was to put her away and my plan was to divorce her, I'm going to do what God said instead of run with my plan. Anytime that your plan contradicts what God has revealed as His plan for your life, always choose His plan over your own. Because your plan wind and heartache and trouble, and remorse. So I ask you this morning, can you unapologetically say that you believe in the details of Jesus' birth as they are given in the Scripture? Maybe more significantly as a, of a question for people who are in church on a Sunday morning, do you understand the significance of them? Do you understand why it's significant that Jesus was born of a virgin? That's not just, again, it's not just a, a good story that it, it, to tell your children. Do you understand the significance of all that happened through the birth of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He was sent from God as fulfillment of His promise? Do you believe that He came to save His people from their sins? If so, Rejoice. Rejoice that God came to us in our sin to deliver us. If not, repent of assuming God to be a liar and trust Him. Because here we have His Word and He says this is Him. The Savior's here. Again, I'm here to tell you once again this morning that you have no hope anywhere else. God's goodness and loving kindness brought Him to you. And my exhortation for you is do not reject this precious truth. And spend time thinking about the significance of his coming. If you all ask you to stand with me this morning, as Mark will, and our musicians will come around and lead us in a song of invitation before we move into the communion aspect of our service. I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you need to respond to the word of the Lord, to do that today. If you want to praise God for his act of grace and mercy towards you, I believe that would be fitting. If you would like to pray that God would give you a fresh understanding of what Christmas means and what it represents, then I think that would be fitting as well. If God's dealt with your heart in any way this morning, I encourage you to come. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song.